Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Today we're starting a brand new series called You Asked For It. And uh, we haven't done this series in a couple of years, but we wanted to bring it back where we would take time to answer some of the top questions or frequently asked questions that uh, we receive here at Bethesda Church all year long, and even some of the things that, some of the questions I receive all year long. And with that being said, we're going to answer this question today, and this one seems to pop up at every turn. Uh, when people want to meet with me or have a sit down with me, usually it involves conflict. So we're going to talk about how do I resolve conflict in my relationships? How to resolve conflict in my relationships. Um, as your pastor for the last 10 plus years, without a doubt, the number one thing that I've spent a, a majority of my time dealing with is helping people negotiate conflict how how do you work through it how do you how do you get through those seasons when you're at conflict with another person whether that be a spouse a child a boss a coworker uh, we live in a broken world with broken people and the result of that is conflict and it really doesn't matter if you are wealthy um, talented uh, really really good looking come on just tell your neighbor I'm good looking um, it really doesn't matter. You can have all that going for you. Listen, but if your relationships stink, you're miserable. If your relationships are not good, I don't care what else you bring to the table. It's not going to be great. I mean, it, conflict in relationships has the potential to make us miserable. And so this is a skill that we have to learn something we have to develop. Part of the problem is, is when you're in high school, they don't have a class on conflict management. Uh, your parents probably never sat you down and said, hey, we got a lesson today. I'm going to help you manage conflict. Now, if your parents did that for you, wow. Like most parents, even when you go to college, unless you're in specific fields, you're not going to get classes on conflict management. And so we're going to look at the Word of God today and, and, and give you some biblical steps on how to resolve conflict. But we're going to start in Romans chapter 12, 17, and 18. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. As much as possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. Did you all get that verse? Now, the one thing I'm thankful for in this verse is that God gave us those first two points before he said, live at peace with everyone. He, he starts it by saying, as much as possible and as far as it depends on you. God is letting us know that even he recognizes that some people refuse to let you live at peace. Some people are crazy. And no matter, 
I mean, you, you can make changes to your behavior. You can make changes to what you say, to how you, and it really, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much you appease. It doesn't matter how hard you try to please and support. Listen, there are some people whose emotional tank is so empty that nothing you will ever do will be enough for them. So God says, as much as possible and as it depends on you, live at peace, but hit your neighbor and say, some people are crazy. Now, <laughs> y'all in the right place today. Um, a little different, a little different kind of sermon, but you're going to get something out of this today. Um, why does God want us to live at peace with everyone? That, I mean, that's a great, why? I mean, what, what's the big deal? Why, why can't we just, you know, live with drama and conflict 24-7? Some people do. Um, but you don't have to, and, and there's some reasons as to why God, he doesn't want us to, to be in conflict all the time. Number one reason that he doesn't want us to do that is because it blocks my fellowship with him. When I'm out of whack with you, I cannot be in harmony with him. It is impossible for me to be, if I'm out of whack with anyone, if I have conflict with people, if I'm bitter, if I'm angry, if I'm fighting, doesn't matter if it's a coworker, doesn't matter if it's a spouse, if you are out of whack with people, you are out of harmony with God. This blocks your fellowship. What do you mean by fellowship? I'm talking about your intimacy with Christ will, will come to a standstill if you're at odds with people. 1 John 4 and 20 says, the person who says I love God and hates his neighbor is a liar. So the Bible's clear that we got to love God, but we also got to love people. And some of us are like, man, the world would be great if there wasn't people. It's like the pastor who said, I'm two funerals away from a great church. Did I say that out loud? It wasn't me. I said a pastor, not me. No. Um, the second thing that happens when I avoid... Um, resolving conflict, when I allow that to keep going, is that it hinders my prayers. You can't fight with people and then pray to God. You're wasting your time praying. You are literally wasting your time praying. God's like, I ain't hearing it. I, I don't want to hear it. I, I want you to go work that out. Um, as it relates to marriage, look at 1 Peter 3 and 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives Treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, this is a verse that you don't hear a lot about this verse in church. And a lot of people are like, so you're saying, Pastor, if, if me and my spouse are, are fighting and there's always conflict, that God will not answer us? That's exactly what he's saying. That your prayers are hindered when there's conflict in your marriage. Now, you can drive over to Bethesda on a Sunday morning and be fighting and screaming at one another all the way over here and then jump out of your car and somebody say, how are y'all? Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored, ready to worship. I, I, I'm ready to lift my hands. God say, I don't, I'm not receiving your hands lifted until you make that right. So we, we can pretend 
like we're going to worship. God says, I'm not receiving worship when you're at odds with people, when you're at odds with your spouse. Conflict blocks my fellowship. It hinders my prayers. And the third thing is it hinders my happiness. When conflict comes in the front door, happiness goes out the back door. You can't be happy and in conflict at the same time. So you, you got to resolve some issues. Now, um, I'm going to give you seven steps to doing that. And just to give you a warning, this first one is going to take the majority of our time. So when I finally get done with point one, you don't have to worry and say, oh, Lord, we got six more. Because um, I'm not going to spend as much time on the other six. I think, I think this first one is probably the most important. Um, this is going to be my, I won't say my, the Holy Spirit's going to do the work. This is, I'm, just a, I'm just a mailman. I'm just going to deliver this. But the Holy Spirit is about ready to give some of you a kick in the behind to take the initiative. That's point one. To resolve conflict, number one, you have to take the initiative. That's the starting point. You have to decide that I'm going to resolve the conflict. I'm going to deal with it. You don't wait for them to call you. You call them. And I don't care if you're the offended or the offender. If you're a follower of Jesus, the ball is in your court. The Bible does not give an out that you wait on them to make it right. The Bible says you follow the example of Christ. What did Christ do? He built a bridge that while you were in sin, he said, I'm going to die for you. They may have been bad. They may have been mean. But God says, I put it in your court. You don't wait for a phone call. You don't wait for an apology. You make things right. You be the peacemaker. And, and, and this works in all of our relationships. I don't care if it's a family member, a spouse, a child. You, you've got to address the issue and take the initiative. If you're married, how many know some marriages want to pretend that certain problems in their marriage is not a problem. We think if we just sweep it under the rug, it'll get better. We think if we just ignore it, it'll go away. And, and it's because we, we've bought into the lie that time heals everything. And I just want to stop right here and say that's one of the, one of the biggest lies. Time heals nothing. If anything, time makes it worse. If time healed everything, then you wouldn't need to go to the doctor. If you did, just go sit in the waiting room and get your healing there. If time healed everything, if you have an open wound and you don't deal with it, how many know it's going to get infected? Gangrene going to show up. They're going to cut an arm off because you say time heals everything. Time heals nothing. Because what starts as anger turns to resentment, and what's resentment turns to bitterness. It will not get better. And conflict, I want you to hear this, it's never resolved accidentally. You're not going to stumble into conflict resolution. You're going to have to take the initiative. You're going to have to be very, very intentional when it comes to conflict. Now, there's some reasons as to why we don't take the initiative and we don't deal with things. Um, one, some of us, we're just, we have a fear of conflict. Like, 
to think about having a tough conversation makes some of us want to go throw up. We, we avoid it. It's not something we like. Now, if you're one of those people that say, I love conflict. I just like fighting and being, I can't wait till the next one. You're weird. That's not normal. Normal people don't love that. Normal people like enjoy peace, comfort. But at the same time, you can't avoid the issue. And, 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 and I, I can preach this point with, with passion because there were a lot of things, especially when Karen and I first got married, that I just wanted to avoid. I wanted to sweep it under the rug. Like she would bring something up and I just wanted to pretend because many of us, we're so afraid of it, we would just rather not deal with it. Because we don't want to really be open and, and even in my leadership ability, the staff will tell you one of the things I've had to do over the last couple of years is have a lot of conversations I didn't want to have because I had to overcome a fear of conflict, a fear of, of, of having a conversation that may make me uncomfortable. And a lot of people, when it comes to conflict, they're just like, I'm scared, I can't do it. I've even seen like strong men, like weightlifters, like fight in the in the Marines, like bullets at them, they're shooting bullets, and the moment conflict arises with another person, they turn into jello. Like, they would rather be out on the battlefield than their wife say, honey, we need to talk. Send me back out. I want bullets flying, right? Why? Because there's a fear. There's a fear of conflict. What if this don't go the way I want it to go? What if, what if I'm so vulnerable, Adam and Eve in the garden messed up, and they blew it, and they, they, they were uh, separated from God and from one another, God comes into the garden, and look at what Adam says to God. He says, God, I heard you in the garden, but I was afraid and because I was naked, so I hid from you. You know what Adam was really saying? This naked here, what he was saying is, God, I was exposed. I was vulnerable. I knew that you came into the garden to deal with the conflict that had just happened. But the last thing I wanted to do, God, was to have a meeting with you and address where we messed up and have this tough conversation. And since that day, men and women have been running from conflict. We run from it. We want to pretend that it does not exist. And I believe that the fear of conflict is really the fear of your own emotions. We fear, what if I'm that vulnerable? What if we have this talk and then I expose who I am and, and we, we, we get deeper in, in conversation and then they reject me? And at the end of the day, I'm all I've got. And if, and if they see the real me and decide they don't want to be linked up to the real me, how many know that's a fear for people? Like, what if they reject the real me? And so it's not really a fear of conflict as much as it is a fear of emotions, a fear of being rejected, a fear of being vulnerable. And when we're in that condition, listen, three things happen. It happens. It makes us, number one, defensive. And when we're defensive, what do we do when we're defensive? We start defending our position and attacking yours. And listen, we all do it. We all do this. We defend our position and attack that person, their position, who we are in conflict with. It also makes us distant. 
which means I, I'm just going to live in isolation. I, I'm going to I'm going to be by myself. I'm I, I'm not going to be vulnerable with anyone. I, I'm not going to have any tough conversations. I'm just going to be by myself. It's life's just better alone. The problem is Jesus said you got to love Him and others. Like being alone is not an option. I remember going through a season here where we just had a lot of different issues and you're dealing with people and you're trying to manage conflict. Get, man, I found myself depressed. Like at a point where I was numb. Like I couldn't even feel anymore. And I just wanted to be alone. How many of that's probably not a good place for the pastor to be? Like he needs to like people. But I'm telling you, there was a season I didn't like anybody. <laughs> I love you, sweetie. She said, hey, you know what I mean. We'll deal with that later. <laughs> this is already going to be the best one, I can tell. So it makes me defensive, distant, and it makes me demanding. Listen, when I find myself, and you, you don't have to own up to it, you don't have to say you do this, but when you, when you become demanding, what that means is, is you have to have the last word. You just, no matter what's going on in the conflict, you're going to get the last word, and you're going to, at the end of the day, the control will be in your, you want to control it. You know why? It's because there's a fear of conflict, because you're, you have a fear of your real, raw emotions. This is good. So it's fear that keeps us from connecting with other people on a deep level. And I'm not, I'm not talking about, like, just sex, like, connecting. I'm talking something deeper than that. I'm talking about soul to soul. We're, we're honest. We're vulnerable. We're, we're going to bring everything to the table. We're going to work through that. And here's the other thing I would say about only courageous people resolve conflict. Cowards won't do it. For a long time, I'll be honest, I was a coward. Sweep it under the rug, let's pretend it doesn't exist. It's a lot easier. But that's not what God has called us to do. You say, well, if I'm offended and upset and I'm scared and all that, how am I supposed to do it? How, how am I going to get the courage? Look at 2 Timothy 1.7. God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. So God's spirit doesn't fill us with fear. I used to get this, this horrible anxiety over meetings with, that I knew I was going to have to confront something. or they were, Like, terrible. And, and it was because I wouldn't allow the Holy Spirit to give me power, love, and a sound mind. I was just operating over what the devil was speaking, that every meeting you'll ever have will go really, really bad, and everybody's going to hate you at the end of the day. And really what I was doing in my situation is I was elevating people above God. Man, when I had that realization, I'm like, man, I ain't afraid of you. If I need to say it, I'm going to say it. If you need to say something, you need to say it. Let's deal with this so that we can all move forward, and let's not pretend like everything's okay when we all know it's not okay. Is this all right? Y'all okay? I know this is tough, but we, we got to get this. When your love is greater than your fear, listen, when your love's greater than your fear, you'll do things that you used to be afraid of. God says, I'll give you power, love, and a sound mind. That middle one's love, and the Bible says this about love. Perfect love does what? It casts out fear. 
So if I'm in tune with the Spirit, with God, He said, I will deposit everything you need, not just to cast out devils and lay hands on the sick. I'll give you what you need to have a tough conversation that you don't want to have so that you're not afraid of what they're going to say or how they're going to respond. But you can sit down and say, hey, we need to talk about A, B, and C. And the Holy Spirit says, I'll anoint you for that conversation. I'll I'll give you what you need to have a difficult talk with another person. Many of you right now, you already know someone you need to have a conversation with as I'm preaching. You're thinking, yep, that's unresolved and we never really settled on anything and we're all just acting like it's all right. You know when it's not all right. You know when you need to have a conversation. Matter of fact, I won't get mad if somebody jumps up right now and leaves to go make something right. Listen, there's nothing worth going to hell over. And if you're bitter and resentful and you hate people, listen, I don't know how you get to heaven with all that in you. I I really don't. I'm not the judge. God will decide. I'm just saying I don't know how you get to heaven when your heart is filled with hate towards somebody that you're in a conflict with. Um, Pet peeve. Matthew 18 I'm not even going to tell you what all, I will tell you what it says. It says, if you have a problem with somebody, go to them. If you are still talking to other people about somebody you're in conflict with, and you're not talking to the person you're in conflict with, not only will it never be resolved, you are now participating in gossip, and everybody you, you bring into that conversation is now participating in your gossip. You know what one of the the biggest challenges as a pastor is? If I need to to deal with someone, like bring correction, you know, or say, hey, we we need to change that, or we need to do something different, or you need to learn this, like I can do that. The problem is, is that when people get offended or when people get upset in church, I don't know why we do this in church. Like in the world, you can tell somebody, hey, you're not doing your job, get out. We'll show them to the car. But in church, if we correct someone, we're not really dealing with them because if they're offended and we're correcting them, we're not really dealing with one person because in church we tell 25 people why we're offended and we invite everybody to pick up the same offense we have and it puts leadership in a position we're not dealing with one person. Now we're dealing with 25 people that have the same offense even though they never went through it. Come on, we got to start following Jesus. And if somebody has a fear, we need to say, hey, read Matthew 18. I'll pray for you. Matthew 18 is probably the most avoided you know, scriptures of where Jesus is speaking that we just ignore it. He says, go to them. If they don't receive you, take somebody with you. Talk to them. If they don't receive you, bring them before the church. Woo, we got work to do. All right. So, you got to get past the conflict. The other thing I would say when it comes to, this is still taking the initiative. I told you we're going to be here a while. The other thing is you have to know how to set up a meeting and when is the right time to talk to that person. Now, you say, well, it'll be fine. They'll call me when they're ready. No, that's a cop-out. Some of you have been waiting 11 years to resolve something that you really need to resolve. You've been waiting years on something, 
and you're using, I'll wait on them to call me as a cop-out when God very clearly says, I want you to take the initiative. Look at Matthew 5. It says this in verses 23, 24. If you're standing before the altar in the temple giving an offering to God and you suddenly remember someone has something against you, Leave your offering there beside the altar. Go at once and first be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your gift to God. God says reconciliation takes priority over worship. God says don't come in here and worship when you're in conflict with people. He says leave the worship service, go make it right, and come back. Now, we don't like that kind of preaching because we want to think worship is the greatest thing. God says, I don't, I don't receive worship when you're at conflict with people. You go make that right and then come back and worship. Take the initiative. So Jesus is saying, don't ignore it. And I want to say this again. It doesn't matter if you're the offended you got offended. It doesn't matter. They need to call me. They did the... No. God doesn't matter if you're the offended or the offender. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are to take the initiative. Secondly, or not say... Still, hit your neighbor and tell them, take the initiative. Choose the right time, okay? Choose the right time when taking the initiative. What's the right time? When both of you are at your best. And what I mean by that is... Like, you're hearing this message, and the Holy Spirit is having an opportunity to deal with your heart right now. And some of you are going to begin thinking about it. You're going to begin praying about it. And you're going to be ready to have a conversation. The problem is, what if the person you need to talk to hasn't heard this? They haven't been praying. They haven't been thinking, we're going we're gonna to reconcile. they just still mad and hate you. Like, if you show up and just say, hey, we need to talk, and you, you drop the bomb on them, how many know that all that's going to happen is an explosion? Like, you need to do them the favor of saying, you know what, God's been dealing with my heart, and I want to make some things right. Let's set a date to talk. And give them an opportunity to also think about it and pray about it. So you, 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 got, to, you got to slow down. You want to be, um, the right timing is very important. Secondly, choose the right place. Don't make them feel like they are coming into the principal's office. Maybe a coffee shop, a quiet place where you're not going to be bothered. Pray before the meeting. Pray before it. Why? Because you don't want flesh getting in the way. Flesh is crazy. One day we think we're good with people, and the next day we look at them like, man, I really don't like them. Right? Like your flesh is all over the place. And when I say pray, I'm saying talk to God before you talk to them. And then come into that meeting with a positive attitude. Man, if you come in saying, yeah, I'm going to let them have it, I don't know what kind of resolution you're thinking is going to take place. It's not happening. You have to come into that with the right attitude a positive even if you're the offended you have to come with the right attitude and I know I know they may have done you wrong but we all did Jesus wrong second thing this is point two we finish take the initiative secondly confess my part of the conflict this is this is the biblical thing to do I have to confess my part well, they're 99.9% wrong, Pastor. 
Well, confess your .01%. But if I was a betting man, I would bet that you're more wrong than that. Matthew chapter 7 verse 3 says, Why do you notice the little piece of dust in your friend's eye, but you don't notice the big piece of wood in your own eye? First take the wood out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the dust out of your friend's eye. You know what this is called? Humility. The key to reconciling any relationship, humility. Humbling ourselves. It's starting with not their, their part, in the, it's starting with my part in the conflict. Am I being unrealistic? Am I too demanding? Am I oversensitive? Am I insensitive? Am, you need to start with you. Hit your neighbor and say, start with you. Quit starting with them, all right? Let God deal with them. You, you can only deal and control you. All right, you can't, if you're trying to control, that's another sermon. If you're trying to control them, you're way out of whack. Control yourself. The number one reason or excuse for divorce, now one of the main things that people write when they say reason for divorce, they say we're just incompatible. Incompatibility is a myth made up by divorce attorneys. There's no such thing as a couple being incompatible. You know what it is? It's two people that refuse to grow up. It's two people who are self-centered, self-absorbed, and stubborn, and both of them are saying, I refuse to change, I refuse to bend. There would be a whole lot less divorces if we all had to go to the, to the courthouse or to the lawyer's office and sign, not we're incompatible, but we're immature. We refuse to bend. We're, we're unwilling. Listen, I want you to get it. Most relationships, marriages included, friendships included, the reason they struggle and die is because of inflexibility. This is who I am. Bless God. I'm never changing. This is the way I see the world. I'm never changing. And what happens, listen, here's what happens. You get stuck because you can't move forward like that. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? You, where do you go when, when two people feel that we, we can't move forward and maybe because of the kids or whatever, you, you can't get out? And, but we're going to be stubborn. We're going to have it our way or else. The only way to get through that kind of logjam is humility. It's the only way. Somebody has to say, I'm going to bend. I'm going to bend. I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to follow the example of Christ. Before honor is humility. And it's okay for you every once in a while to say, I'm sorry. How many know, I'm sorry goes a long way. The third thing, you listen for the hurt. If people are hurting you, it's because they're hurt. Hurt people always hurt people. 
It may not have been from you. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But people who are lashing out and hurting others and saying things they shouldn't say, it's because they are hurt. And I can't speak for women, obviously, but I can speak for men. Men, we tend to hide our hurt behind logic. Instead of saying those two words, I'm hurt or I'm offended or I'm whatever. Most men don't use that terminology. Women are much more comfortable saying I'm hurt or mad or frustrated. Men will hide behind logic, and, and instead of saying I'm hurt, we will, we will talk to somebody and say, here's the seven reasons why you're wrong. And really what we're saying is I'm really hurt, and so I'm, I don't want to really say that, so I just stayed up all night thinking of a list. Men, it's all right to say you're hurt. You don't have to come and be an attorney in that conflict and say, here's the seven bullet points as to why you're wrong. You can simply say, I'm hurt. It's okay. You don't have to hide behind logic. Listen, if you want to connect with people, you have to start with their need. One of the best ways I can explain this is as a pastor, as a preacher of the gospel, I can stand up here and preach casting out devils and healing the sick and anointed and blessed and highly favored and we're going to move mountains and I'm strong in the Lord and, and it's all true and we'll clap about it and be pumped up about it, but you know, very few people connect with that. But when I get up and say I struggle with conflict management, and here's a weakness in my personal life, and this is where I blew it, that's the messages that everybody sends emails and Facebook messages and texts and saying, Pastor, you knocked it out of the park. Because people do not connect to strength. They always connect better to weakness. So as long as you're flexing muscles and you're conquering the world, people are not going to connect to that. At some level, you got to be vulnerable. At some level, you got to show that you're not all that. James 1.19, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. To listen for the hurt, you have to do what that verse says. you got to listen. Listening could be the key to diffusing the conflict in your life. Hearing their heart. Romans 15 and 2 says, we must be considerate about the doubts and fears of others. You might want to circle those two words, doubts and fears, because I have doubts and fears. You have doubts and fears. And when you're in conflict with someone, you need to listen. Because they'll tell you, if you'll listen, where they're doubting. They will tell you what, what fear they have. And oftentimes, if we will take that time to listen, we can start connecting and bringing healing to that relationship. Alex said something before, uh, Alex Brand said something before the, the service. Um, obviously, the third time I've preached it, but he said, um, that if we come at conflict in any relationship instead of from opposite sides, but we come at it on the same side. Now, how many know that's a big deal? Usually we button heads because we're on opposite sides, but what if we said we love this, we love one another so much, let's attack this from the same side. That's a powerful thing. The fourth thing is you got to consider their perspective. Consider their way of looking at it. Consider their viewpoint. I read a story this past week about a couple who attended a wedding, and they had been in a big, big fight, and they're on their way to see this young couple, you know, make a covenant, say their vows, and, but they've been butting, they've been fighting 
And so much so that, how many know that a couple can walk into a room like this, and if they've really been fighting, they can come into a room like this and not say a word, and everybody like, what's up with them? <laughs> right? You can feel tension. You, you know when something's off. And so they attended a wedding in that condition. I mean, they're at each other's throats, and they come in, they sit down, and what really gave it away, you know, other than the look on their face and the tense shoulders and all that, is when they sat down, they put a chair between them. So at a wedding, a husband and wife, not even going to be sight. We're not even going to touch. There's going to be a seat between us. And so they're sitting there all mad, watching the pastor pray and, you know, do, the, do this ceremony. But the pastor gets to a point in the message in this particular wedding ceremony where he says this. He says, there are very few things worth arguing over. And he makes that statement, and it touches the husband's heart, and the husband's shoulders relax, and he scoots over into that empty chair beside his wife, puts his arm around her. And you say, well, what, what point are you making? That is the issue of relationships. Who's going to move over one chair? Who's going to bend? Who's going to be more like Christ and start seeing it, not from their own perspective, but from the other person's perspective? Philippians 2 says each of you should look not only for your own interests, but also the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. The word look is where we get the word scope, like telescope, microscope. God says, I want you to scope out their viewpoint. Like, don't just be so dismissive. I don't want to hear your viewpoint. This is why I'm mad. All right, I hope you're happy in conflict. I want you to scope it out. I want you to hear what they're saying. You say, well, how, how in the world am I supposed to do that when I'm upset or I'm mad and they've done A, B, and Z wrong? How am I supposed to do that? Where am I going to find the strength to do that? Psalm 139.3 says, God, you notice everything I do and you know everywhere I go. See, the way you do this is you realize that there is a God in heaven, a Father in heaven, who takes notice of every one of your needs, and, and that you're not in this alone, and God takes care of your needs so that you can take care of someone else's needs. A lot of times, the reason we struggle and have so much conflict is because we're asking people to do for us what only God can. We need our spouse, we need this person, we need a parent, we need somebody to be God and meet every need in our life. You got to be okay with God meeting your needs. Don't put people in a position of God in your life because at the end of the day, they will let you down. They're as messed up as you are. They're as imperfect as you. See, God wants to meet your needs so that you can be considerate of other people's needs. Number five, we only got three more. I'm going to hurry. Less than ten minutes, all right? Tell the truth tactfully. Tell the truth tactfully. The Bible says in Ephesians, speak the truth in love. It may be the truth that you're saying, but if it's not wrapped in love, you're on the wrong side. Truth is never meant to be used as a club. To beat people over the head. That's only allowed on Facebook. I'm just making sure you're listening. 
I'm just kidding. It's not allowed there either. Proverbs 12 and 18, reckless words pierce like a sword. Tongue of the wise brings healing. Our words will either hurt or heal. What are your words doing? Are your words hurting or are they healing? Do your words bring discouragement to people or do your words actually encourage people? Because great people make people feel great. Ephesians 4.29, do not use harmful words, but only helpful words, the kind that build up and provide what is needed. Which brings me to the sixth point, fix the problem, not the blame. We spend all of our time trying to figure out who's to blame. You only have so much emotional energy. And you can either use it to figure out who's to blame or you can use it to resolve conflict, but you don't have enough emotional energy to do both. At some point, you got to get past who's to blame and say, how do we fix it? How do we make it better? The way you spell blame, or the way you spell blame is be lame. So if all you're worried about is who's to blame, you're being lame. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, don't be lame. get back to the married people, the married people with conflict. You need to decide. Now, how many know in any deep, intimate relationship, there are go-to words, go-to phrases where you can literally push that person's buttons? Don't act like you haven't done it. Come on, you get in a fight, and then you run out of whatever it is you need to say, and then you push the button. You've done it. I've done it. The button that that pushes them over the edge. Colossians 3 and 8 says, watch this. It says, get rid of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. What are malicious words? He said, get rid of malice. What are malicious words? These are words that are designed. The only reason you say them is to hurt. God said, I want you to get rid of it. He says, don't use slander. What are slander? Slander is insults. It's when you're no longer really working through something. You're throwing out insults and slurs. Sometimes it involves belittling someone. The lowest thing you can do as a human being is belittle another person. Because when you belittle someone else, it it doesn't say anything about them. It says a lot about you that you are a tiny person. If that's what it takes for you to feel better is to belittle them, to make them feel worse, then you are operating in slander and, and malice. Romans 14, 13, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. The reason we fix the problem and not the blame is because blame is a form of judging. Last time I checked, there's one judge, and you're not it. Only God knows motivation, intent of the heart, what's going, why people do what they do. Listen, I know you're brilliant, but you don't know motivation. You don't know intent. You don't know all that. If we were all being honest, we don't even know why we do what we do half the time. 
and you're trying to figure out somebody else's intent and, and their motivation, not possible. Allow God to be judged. The seventh thing as the worship team comes back, focus on reconciliation, not resolution. What's the difference? Reconciliation means I'm going to reestablish relationship. Resolution means I'm going to resolve every issue. In case you haven't figured this out, you can't. Number two, like resolving every issue is impossible. You cannot resolve every issue. All right? So, so you can't bring resolution to everything in your life. Can you have a loving relationship while not agreeing on everything? It's absolutely possible. You don't have to agree on everything to have a loving relationship. I want to say it like this. If you learn to disagree without being disagreeable, that's called wisdom. That doesn't make you less than or better than. Sometimes in a relationship, you have to agree to disagree and still love each other the same. That's a good place to praise the Lord. It's okay to agree to disagree. To say, you know what, we, we're never going to see the same on this issue. See, if you can learn to have unity without uniformity, it's wisdom. If you can learn to walk hand in hand without seeing eye to eye, that's wisdom. You don't have to agree on everything to be reconciled. See, the world is constantly trying to divide and saying, well, I believe it like this and you believe it like that, so we have to be divided. That's not how the kingdom works. See, in a world where everyone's divided over every issue, as followers of Jesus, we should not be building walls, but we should be building bridges to figure out how we can connect with other people, how we can bring reconciliation. If you're in this place today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I would encourage you to start there. Before you try to resolve conflict with other people, you need to make sure you and God are okay. You need to say, Lord, forgive me. You need to make that relationship right, and He'll give you the wisdom you need to make the other relationships right. Matthew chapter 5 and 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers. I want you to notice, it doesn't say blessed are the peace lovers. There's a lot of people who say they love peace, but they don't ever make peace. We are called to make peace. That means we're going to deal with tough issues. We're going to have tough conversations. God has anointed us to do it. And if you didn't get anything else out of this sermon today, like if you're mad at me, some of y'all are mad. But really, you're not mad. You're mad at God. I have preached nothing but His Word this morning. Nothing but His Scripture. What He says to us. I want you to get this one. If you didn't get anything, get this. It's always more rewarding to resolve the conflict than to dissolve the relationship. I did not say it's always easier. I said it's always more rewarding. And there may be some people that you want to wash your hands of them and say, forget it, not worth it. I'm dissolving the relationship. I'm walking away from them. I'm getting them out of my life. And that's your prerogative. Do what you want to do. But listen, you don't get any rewards in heaven for that. You don't experience any joy on the earth for that. 
You don't have to have any character growth by making that decision. It's always more rewarding to resolve the conflict than it is to dissolve the relationship. But you can't make peace with other people if you haven't made peace with God. 1 Timothy 2.5, there's only one God and mediator who can reconcile God and people. And that is Jesus Christ. You receive anything from the word today? I hope you got something out of this. God will help you resolve conflict. I want you to stand to your feet today. I want you to close your eyes, bow your heads. I'm not going to prolong this, but maybe you are here and you've got a lot of conflict. It's possible to have a lot of conflict. I've been in seasons where I felt like everywhere I turn, conflict. Not any fun. I also believe that the Holy Spirit allowed me to, to deal with some of that at different seasons because he wanted me to mature and grow up and trust him and not fear people more than him and, and learn how to have tough conversations when I didn't want to. It doesn't matter if it's a marriage, a, a co-worker, a boss. But I, I just want to encourage you today that before you can make peace with all those people that maybe you're in conflict with, you got to make peace with God. And you do that by acknowledging that Jesus came, died in your place, was dead, buried, but rose again on the third day, that he has paid the penalty of your sin, that you can leave here differently than you came in by acknowledging that, asking him into your heart, repenting of your sins. You can do that today. I'm not going to embarrass anyone, but if that is you and you need to make things right with God, would you throw your hand up right there where you are and say, that is me. Thanks for this hand and that hand and that hand. I see the three in this section. Another one back here. God bless you. Anyone else? That's, that's you. You say, that's me. Thanks for these hands. I see another one here and a couple more there. God bless you. Another one over here. God bless you. Anyone else? Celebrating baptism today and seeing all these hands go up after you talk about conflict. How many of the Holy Spirit's at work at Bethesda Church? He's doing something very special. I want you to lift your voice. Very simple. There's no magic in these words, all right? There's not. This is, we, we want to help you articulate what's happening in your heart. So every voice say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. Today, I humble myself, and I, I admit that I'm a sinner and I've committed sins. I need your grace. Jesus, please forgive me. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's go crazy and lose our minds for all those hands. Come on, give God a praise for that. He is so good. We'll ask our prayer team and staff to come forward as they come forward. If you've made that decision today, there is a connect card. Seat back in front of you. I would love for you to take just a minute to write your name down and say, you know what, Pastor? I made a decision for Christ. Just, just check it. Leave it in your seat. Our team will get it after service. The reason being is we want to come alongside you and help you take your next step. Who knows, maybe it's you next time we do baptism that we are baptized. I hope it is. I pray that it is, that 
you will go public with your faith at some point. Before we sing this last song, can we give God the best praise we have all day, church? Come on, give him a praise today. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.